Hi, I'm Maya Garantz. And I'm Rebecca Cohen. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. And today it's lightning speed round. All the news that's fit to ruin. We're just gonna just ruin (laughs) a bunch of stuff just very quickly. Okay, listeners, we know there's just so much stuff going on every day, and we don't get our episodes out fast enough to talk about it in a timely fashion. So we thought it would be fun to just do a little this week, what's going on. Also, can we be, can we be real? Can we confess something to our listeners? Okay. Tell them the (laughs) truth. Fine. The truth is we are managing severe technical difficulties for what was supposed to be this week's episode. And we really wanted to get something out to you. So we're doing it lightning round style. Sweet and tasty, nasty and snappy, get it done because we did want to get something out for you. Uh, So what we're going to do in a few minutes is just uh, grab a few stories from the recent news and we're going to put ourselves on the clock and give ourselves five minutes to, what did you say? Sweet and nasty and snappy and snarky or something? (laughs) Do all of that. Uh, but before, all of it. Yeah, before all of it. we do all of that, I have to know, Maya, um, mm. how are you doing? And most importantly, what are you drinking? Because it looks like you're drinking tea. I'm drinking, oh, there is bourbon in that tea. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I didn't I'm d- drinking oh. a hot toddy because, and I, I probably shouldn't be drinking at all. I went to a holiday party on Sunday and I got drunk and I got hung over, which I, I'm usually really good about not drinking enough mm-hmm. to get hung over, which as anybody knows <laughs> is more than two drinks for me. Um, and I'm still kind of recovering. So I was like, I'm not gonna tonight. And then I'm like, well, I'll put a little bourbon in my tea. That is the best way to recover. Hair of the dog. No, oh, I'm a big oh, no. Nothing mm. makes you feel better as quickly as just getting drunk again. I think greasy food is way better no, than I hair mean, of the dog for me. It's not an either or here. <laughs> How about food. you? I see a bottle of wine. Was that a bottle of wine that I saw? No. Was it this? Ooh. That's ooh, it's a bottle of Sambuca. My Sambuca. I'm having a hot cocoa with Sambuca. In uh, a Mrs. Claus mug. Very festive. <laughs> very gender normative. We have a Mr. Claus mug as well. <laughs> they were gifts. I think it's really fun to pull out my holiday themed mugs when it's December. It's like Matt's mom does. She changes all the dishes. She has she's a Christmas cups. Oh my God. I have my Mr. and Mrs. Claus mugs. Oh, Jesus. All right, Mrs. Claus. Well, speaking of Mrs. Claus, (laughs) shall we start with the war on Christmas? Okay, guys, here's the rules. Five minutes. Rebecca's got the timer set. I am we setting have, the timer. The timer. And we're just going to like, yeah, just we're, do we're it gonna up. We're going to go. Um, but when the alarm goes, that's it. We're supposed to stop. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. We, we're, I'm, we're, yeah. We're down with this. We're doing it. Okay. <laughs> and the timer begins. First go. story. <laughs> So war on Christmas, specifically war on the Fox News Christmas tree. I I was cracking up already. I am obsessed with this story. In case anyone hasn't heard, 
a quote-unquote Christmas tree at the quote-unquote Fox News Square in New York was set ablaze the other night, like right after midnight on Tuesday or Wednesday. There's just so much to get into. But the, the big idea is that, of course, Fox News went crazy and like was just instant victim mode across the board. Amazing. Every program. Amazing. 36 hours of just lamenting the state of our country and our city, the crime being out of control. But most importantly, of course, the war on the war. Christmas. It's a war. war. How this is yet another attack, another assault on Christmas. And um, they really got into it. Now, let, let's be clear. I want to be clear. Uh, Fox News Square is the corner of 48 and 6. <laughs> It's like it's, it's not, not a, a square. Thing. It's not a thing. It's there's like some concrete blocks there you can sit on and have your lunch if you happen to work at an office in the area. There's nothing there. It's not a thing. And the tree that they speak of is also not a fucking tree. It's not even a fake tree. Like a fake tree would be a a thing that looks like a tree but it's not natural, did not grow from the ground. No, this is a like a metal structure shaped like a cone. It's a metal cone cage that they they stick ornaments on. <laughs> and uh, the person who did this, this is going to shock everyone because I know you were thinking that this was a real terrorist act yes. from a guerrilla yes. fighter. I prefer guerrilla in this um, war that we're fighting to bring down Christmas. But in fact, it was just a troubled person a homeless person, apparently well known to the police for doing a lot of criminal mischief and vandalism and um, really had no larger agenda uh, anyone can can identify. But my Lord, I have to share these great quotes from the people at Fox News, at least one or two of them, if we. Have yes. That. OK, so first on um, Fox and Friends, everybody's favorite most of all Trump's favorite. Apparently they led each hour of their three hours with updates on the tree. Oh my God. And, but no, this is the best part. Co-host Steve Ducey apparently saying it's beginning to look a lot like arson. <laughs> which is genuinely funny. I just want to applaud Steve Ducey for that. Cause that's a funny joke. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was slapped down. <laughs> By his colleague, Ainsley Earnhardt, according to the article in Washington Post. And um, she said, you know, talking about how terrible it is. It's a tree that unites us, that brings us together. It's about the Christmas spirit. It's about the holiday season. It's about Jesus. It's about Hanukkah. It's about everything. Sorry. No, it's not. A, I'm sorry. What? No. It's about everything we stand for as a country. Which is like, oh, my God. First of wow. all, first wow. of all, you can't say it's about Jesus and then it's about Hanukkah for so many reasons. For so, there's, wow, wow. Like, and and so Jonathan Chait actually addressed that a little bit in this great piece he wrote that was in The Intelligencer that we should put a link up because people should read it. It's not long, but he sort of gets into this whole thing about Christmas and happy holidays, the war on Christmas, and relates some anecdotes from his own childhood growing up, I think he said in Detroit or suburban right. area of Detroit. Yeah. And some like anti-Semitism that he encountered around yeah. these like, you know, 
could we have a menorah too kind of things like maybe what what if we didn't have a crash right right on the school right lawn? on the school ground yeah. yeah yeah and um oh that's our alarm it's not saying it was supposed to say drink bitch and it didn't say it <laughs> that was our alarm we're supposed to stop but i just want to recommend everyone to read the jonathan chait piece and to point out that i don't think i've ever actually said the war on christmas is actually about anti-semitism it's it just totally anti-Semitism. It, it totally, totally is. is. And I just briefly, I think that what we have to mention is that post 9-11, these people are so ready to be victims at any fucking second that a homeless guy sets their cone on fire and like yep. it's the end of oh, all days. Totally. Well, no, they they get off on it. Their whole thing is like, we're going to put up a new tree that's going to be even bigger and brighter than the first one. They can't ruin our Christmas spirit. They can't keep us down. They can't kill America. Right. It can't just be a bummer of a thing that happened. Well, it's it's they have to make it an attack on white Christianity promulgated by our multiracial culture. Right. Or as um, what's his name? Kilmeade said yeah. on Thursday. Who says it's not a hate crime against us, against Fox News? So it's a it's a hate crime. It's against a hate Fox crime News. against Fox News. Yeah, um, of course. Sure. Hannity. Unfortunately, it's one of many examples of just how weak far left crime policies are leaving so many cities less safe. So it's it's the weakness caused by the far left. Uh, Tucker Carlson torching Christmas trees is an attack on Christianity. Mm. And this was yet another criminal set free by left-wing ideologues to terrorize everyone else. Mm -hmm. And, um, whoa. Oh, here's a good one. Mm -hmm. 7 p.m. host Tammy Bruce said, don't worry about us at Fox News. We're fine. We're rebuilding our tree. But these are the benefits of being a major corporation. Most Americans don't have this luxury. As she spoke, the on-screen graphic read, in all caps, the left wants you to be afraid. Wow. The left wants you to be afraid as they take this thing and turn it into fear monger. It's just, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, war on Christmas. I feel like it's actually not going so well because these people haven't shut up yet. So I yeah. just think we need to ramp it up. If we're going to have a war on Christmas, we got to win. Yeah. We're not, okay. <laughs> we're not fighting to win. I feel like. We did not do that in five minutes. This one will be easy because I don't have that much to say about it. All right. Go. Segment two, sex in the city, the new sex in the city. And just like that. Okay. I have things to say because everybody has very strong opinions and they're almost all wrong. And most all of right. the strong opinions are about that character would never. This character would never. And I'm here to say, oh, yes, they would. They all would. So they okay. are setting. Okay. I have to say, I've not watched this because though I know that eventually I will have to, I don't, I just, I really love Sex in the City. And I know this is going to be terrible. I know the show is terrible. It okay. is, right? Here's the thing. The movies were terrible. Terrible. Okay. Well, the second movie was terrible for sure. It the shows terrible. I actually think are like a pretty fair uh, revisiting of characters who we knew when they were in their 30s now being in their 50s. Okay. And there's starting, and so there are things, for instance, like somebody was like, so Miranda, 
has decided to quit corporate law. She's going back to grad school for like human rights stuff because she feels very like stirred up post-Trump. Great. They are setting up that she has a bit of a drinking problem. Okay. She's a bit alcohol dependent, just making sure the drink is always there at times of the day, potentially inappropriate. And she has a bit of a Karen moment. Like the teacher is black and she thinks the teacher is like looks too young and then she feels like a total asshole and she sort of over talks too much and she's Not kind bad. of dealing with That's whiteness. Good. People are like, that's, Miranda would never. I'm like, oh, yes, oh, she would. No, no. But Miranda was always the awkward one. She was always mm-hmm. the one who ended up in kind of shitty, awkward dates. Uh, I think for her to, in her 50s, be kind of stultified in her marriage, stultified in her career, oh, yeah. a bit alcohol dependent, trying to do something new. All of this is, to me, I is completely works is it completely, completely worked up but it's very sex in the city that's yes. the thing about sex in the city has actually had a lot of similarities with like seinfeld or other comedies where a, a lot of the awkwardness comes from like awkward social interactions a lot of the humor i mean just like comes from like awkward yes. social situations not really knowing the exact uh, etiquette or way you're supposed to act in a certain situation yeah Absolutely. And absolutely. And the fact that Carrie now and Big, there's a, so Big dies in the first oh, episode. Spoilers. Sorry. No, he dies. I just, say, I just want to say this. Uh, this was the only thing I knew about the show because I was looking at a CNBC article about Peloton shares yes. going down. Yes. And yes. it's like, you know, Peloton shares dropped 16% today after, you know, they had a bad earnings report and also they were on Sex and the City. And then there's a thing that said, uh, the the following portion of the article contains spoilers for the what is the show called right. and, and and just like that and just yeah. like that and I was like oh okay whatever it's gonna say Miranda got a yeast infection from being on a peloton right. or something. <laughs> and I start reading and it's like in the first episode Mr Big dies from riding a peloton I was like oh my god that is a spoiler so again there are some people who are like we waited for them to get together all this time and now he just dies. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's what happens. They had a very uneventful life. Carrie seems a little disconnected from reality and what she used to be because, yeah, she's in her 50s. She ended up getting married. That was something I thought Sex and the City, the show, did really well. That as they're getting older, there are fewer single men. There are fewer sort of people in the pool. Dating is kind of more quiet. There are a lot yeah. more of these spaces between men coming in and out of her life. Yeah. Because that's fucking what it's like. So yeah, that she and Big ended up having a pretty uneventful, happy, sort of calm marriage that they were sort of holed up during quarantine. And then this thing happens. Of course, you put that in the first episode. It's a brilliant instigating event to have to push her back into the world. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Like, what is there for a Carrie that's married? Yeah. The only thing you could do is have more conflict with Big. Which, I which think, what? is why the movies failed, which yeah. is why the second movie failed. They I had agree. nothing else to do. Exactly. So, so yes, would Miranda become a talky, awkward, I am not used to dealing with people of, I'm trying to, I'm drinking a little too. Totally makes sense for mm-hmm. Carrie to have, have sort of need something that's going to push her back out into the world for big, who's had heart. But like, I actually mm-hmm. thought they did such a smart job with saying, okay, what is the other, what does middle age look like after they were party girls in their twenties and thirties? That's our alarm, by the way. Okay. I get to say one thing. There is one thing that people have been complaining about that is actually true though. Okay. 
the actress who plays Samantha had some kind of thing with Sarah Jessica Parker and refused to be in this show. Yeah, and Kim Cattrall. It, Kim Cattrall. There yeah. was some stuff. It was big. It was dramatic. It's unclear. But she refused, refused to be in this okay. show. So they have to do something with Samantha. Yeah. And the explanations that they use for why she's not there are so passive aggressive to Kim Cattrall as an actor. Oh, really? And absolutely not in keeping with what the character would be. What did they uh, say? Hun- why is Samantha not there? Oh, that they're not friends anymore because Samantha was was using Carrie as like an ATM because she was doing PR work for Carrie and Carrie didn't want that work any like had no reason for her doing that work anymore, which is like absolutely inconsistent. So Samantha just picked up and moved to London and isn't talking to any of them anymore. Don't buy it. If they'd said, no, that's a total fuck you to Kim. That's a total fuck you to Kim Cattrall. And so, yes, I agree that that's bullshit. That is not consistent with the character. That is just them being passive aggressive biatches. Uh, But everything else, I was like, oh, this is really a smart way to revisit these people. You've got to update it. It can't be. They're not in their 30s anymore. It's not going to be the same. Yeah. And if you gave them all happy endings, that means 20 years of them living in marriages, just dealing with like life, which is ends up being a lot more insular because when you're older and you're married, yeah, life ends up being circled around the home more. It is a little boring. (laughs) Well, you're making me want to watch the show, actually. Yeah, it's really fun. All right. Next. Okay. By the way, I told you you couldn't limit yourself to five minutes and neither could I. Uh, <laughs> next segment, we are talking about Gavin Newsom and yes. guns. Okay. Do you want to set this one up? Yes. So part of the horrendous Texas abortion law that is currently working its way through the Supreme Court is a part of the law that says that people can hunt down and turn in people who they know are providing or getting abortions and get bounty money for it. No, but is that not it? They don't turn them in, though. To be clear, there's no actual legal prosecution of anyone, according to this Texas law. It's all about empowering random people. They don't even have to be Texas residents to sue other people. Oh, my God. But yes, different organizations are setting up bounties. I don't know if the law provides for the bounties, but the idea is that if you can provide some evidence or you can point the finger at someone who, I don't know, drove someone to an abortion clinic or in some other way enabled them to get an abortion, then um, that person who did the thing can be sued. And I guess you can get a payoff for turning their name over to potential plaintiffs. That isn't psychotic at all. I don't see that leading to any abusive husband. Like, I don't like that's not like this law is so full of problems like that. It's beyond. But the the big the big problem is is that's one of the problems. But the real issue with the Texas law is that it takes the responsibility for enforcing the abortion ban away from the state. Yes. Because the state can't constitutionally do that. That's right. So that's right. It puts it in the hands of private citizens and empowers them to sue each other for exercising 
their legal rights, exercising your legal right to health care. Get an abortion, right. It's a workaround to basically, in effect, make a legal right not exercisable through lawsuits. So this is all very, very fucked up. Uh, And then Gavin Newsom sort of has done a little bit of a troll. So California is going to be passing an assault weapons ban. Mm -hmm. And Gavin Newsom is like, so, hey, we'll just do that same system for people who have assault weapons. We'll turn it into a situation where if, you know, we can turn it, we can sue people. That thing you're trying to do with abortion, we're going to do it with guns. Yeah, which is, I think, what a lot of people were saying as soon as that Texas law was passed, which is, if you want to use this method, if you're going to argue in court, you know, that that this law cannot be challenged in court because in order to challenge a law in court, you have to have a defendant who's like the attorney general or someone who's enforcing the law, but there's nobody enforcing this law. It's not a law. It's not a criminal law like that. So, um, okay, fine. If that's how you want it to be, then we'll just ban guns. We'll ban guns. I mean, why make it assault weapons? Why not all fucking firearms? Why not? Like, you could do whatever you want. They're not illegal. You just, anyone who is, uh, who owns one. Wait, no, you can't sue the woman who, or person who gets the abortion, right? Um, It's the person who provides it or helps. So anyone who sells a firearm, who sells ammunition, who drives you to the firearm store, who mops the floor of the firearm store. I don't know anyone involved in the purchase. I guess maybe the ATM that gives you the money to buy it with. You sue it all. Sue it all. So here's the thing. On the one hand, Gavin, it's a great troll. Mm -hmm. And I salute you. On the other hand, it's a terrible legal idea. Like, I don't know. It's I don't know what to do about that troll because I feel like it's a bad, you know, you know what I'm Uh, trying to say? I know exactly what you mean. You don't want to be in this position where you are accepting their terrible legal premise. Yes. Uh, But on the other hand, the idea here is that you are forcing them to face the full consequences of it. Yes. You're saying if we take the high road and say, well, we won't do that because that would not really be uh, in the spirit of our democracy <laughs> right <laughs> our essential right. oh. drink bitch yay i made it work um but anyway i i actually feel like look whether gas gavin newsom of california passed this law or not uh is not going to affect what the supreme court says about the constitutionality of such laws so then troll but, away gavin kind is of, that like yeah of, like we're like hey you know what yeah, it forces people who are advocating for it to have to really face what they've done. It forces them to say, like, if you are really going to argue that this is a legitimate way to legislate, then you have to accept that any other constitutional right is equally at play. Even All right. You treasure. Go, Gavin. Next segment. OK. All right. Let me reset the clock. OK, I'm excited about this one. Succession. We talked about it in an episode Follow two up. weeks ago. Follow up. Did you We've finally got... read the New Yorker article? Okay, yes. We have a follow-up. Did you watch the season finale? I sure did. Come on. It was so good. I it's brilliant. I still have feelings. Okay. Let's get into this. Okay. So the New Yorker article, 
for those unfamiliar, they did a profile of Jeremy Strong, the guy who plays uh, Kendall uh, Roy. Kendall Roy on the show, arguably the main character of the show, one of the main characters anyway. And this profile came out like the day after or the night of the second to last episode of the season, which ended with this big cliffhanger where we didn't know what was going to become of Kendall. Yes. And um, it led to a whole lot of conversation about this actor, Jeremy Strong. I finally read it today and I was a little underwhelmed. Like it was a well-written piece and it was interesting and it actually made me laugh out loud in one or two places. But like, it seems to me like he's an actor <laughs> and he acts like actors act, which is full of himself and self-important and um, really puffed up about his, his own art and craft. And oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. I think what is irritating to me is that there were all kinds of people like defending him. He comes off as more than just your typical self-centered actor. He's trying to be Mr. Method. He's trying to be Daniel Day-Lewis. He's trying to be like, I am Al Pacino. And there are all of these things that reveal how ridiculous that is and how ridiculous he is. And they make him look ridiculous. And I think the part of it that was the most damning Mm -hmm. is that no one in the cast defends him. (laughs) Nobody that's included in the article. No, because they couldn't find anybody to defend him. Like no one. Yeah. And there have been a couple of, and there's this part where he says that like he gets some of his actor friends to call the author of the story to talk about how great he is. So all of a sudden the author of the story is getting phone calls from like Matthew McConaughey because Jeremy Strong is like, call this guy and tell him how great I am. And so it makes you just immediately mistrust the next sort of coordinated thing of actors defending him, which mm-hmm. came out, none of which are his succession co-workers. That's true. But I don't know. I, I felt like what I heard about the article and what his co-workers on succession said about him were kind of overblown compared to what was actually in the article. The impression I get is that Brian Cox just doesn't like him. <laughs> like Brian Cox is going around just being like, I'm worried about that kid. (laughs) Yeah. You just don't like him. You don't like the way he works. But you know what I think it is? I actually think it's one of those things where everybody's reading what's underneath it because we know what the standard performance of Hollywood is. Okay. But let me, let me ask, did you read Aaron Sorkin's thing? Yeah. And even Aaron Sorkin's thing where he was like, okay, it is true. He asked me to use tear gas. And I was like, I'm not going to no. use real tear gas. Aaron like, Sorkin come on. Made it clear that he, that it was in jest. It was a passing remark that uh, Jeremy Strong had made and, and that he thought it was amusing. Not that it was like, he really asked him to like, use tear gas on him and all the extras or something like that. He goes like, he goes out of his way to say that Jeremy Strong was great, that he was, we're supposed to stop now. Um, I I thought, yes, he comes across as pretentious. Obviously he's one of those actors that would be deeply annoying to work with, but the article definitely wanted to convey a certain point of view and while it was very entertaining to read, it did leave me feeling like it was not giving you a complete picture. And 
was kind of uncool. I don't know. I thought it was fucking great and fantastic and challenging the pretense. And also it was interesting. One of the people who was very invested in defending him online, who I follow, was talking about how a lot of those actors who do method have those articles early in their career. And I was like, okay, but does Jeremy Strong sound like the kind of actor who would like sit with Jodie Foster to sit with a kid actor for four hours to make a scene better like De Niro did with Jodie Foster? Yeah, no, De, De Niro's he does not, not one of his heroes. His oh, heroes that's true. Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino and Daniel Day-Lewis and Daniel Day-Lewis Day did shit. <laughs> Some of the stuff that's mentioned and think in the article about like Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, wanting to participate in the building of buildings in one of the films because his character would have helped build them and um having it building a canoe for yes. last of the Mohicans yes. built a canoe. He also and- he also texted Sally Field, who was playing his wife in, in Lincoln. He texted her in character. <laughs> he texted her yes. as Abe Lincoln. He did. Yeah. He did. He seriously did. But there's this thing where it is also, to me, reading it, it's like the pretension, no woman actor gets to be a method actor like that. Oh, right. No, that is absolutely true. Zero. He comes across not just as like shallow and pretentious, but like a spoiled brat. And he comes, I think what people were so struck by, and if he'd been playing another role, it would be different. Right, but I right. think what comes across how is much he comes across as being Kendall. He comes off not as playing Kendall, but, but as, as being Kendall. Right. And you're like, oh, he's not doing this, doing such a great job because he's such a good actor. He's doing a great job because he is this douchebag. And I okay. feel like that's that I think was the great pleasure of the article. Okay. One last counterpoint. Chris Evans says he is a great actor. And Chris Evans would never lie. He's the most <laughs> sincere and decent person in existence. I was, I was going to say in Hollywood, but I'm going to go with in existence. That's just because of his arms. You're just saying that because no, of his torso. No, no, the torso is just a bonus. It's all great. But like I, Chris Evans is like like the best person. Honestly. I'm sorry. Take, take a look at his Twitter pictures of him and his dog, you will understand. Um, all right. Chris all Evans right. is a genuinely decent, good person. And if he says that Jeremy Strong is a good guy and a great actor, like he's in awe of him as an actor. So I'm going to go with Captain America on that. Oh, okay. I'm totally violating our rule now about time. But I wanted to say one last thing, which is that <laughs> after the finale, uh-huh. I did go on Twitter, the succession finale, because I wanted to see the reactions. I enjoy the Twitter and seeing everyone watching the same thing. Share oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thing. And I have to say a good number of the tweets, uh, a disturbing number of the tweets were not appreciating the show on the same level that I do or in the same way, I should say, that I do. There were a lot of people feeling great sympathy for the Roy children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look, Matt was like, you have to do another episode and tell Maya she was right. (laughs) (laughs) Because your argument was that, that whether we want to or not, inevitably people are going to sympathize with these characters. I don't, I don't watch it that way. 
I had a friend that I was talking to about it the other day. I was like, why do you like succession? And he was like, oh, because it's dark comedy and it's fun to see these awful people be so stupid and, and screw each other over. And I was like, oh, that's right. You have the right answer. But then looking at Twitter, oh man. So thank you. Wait. I was right. I was right. Thank you. Thank you. One last story before uh-huh. we go. We have to mention the biggest story of the week, the one that like really everyone has been talking about and we would be remiss to not acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. It is the saga of Jean and George. <laughs> <laughs> that has preoccupied me for the last last day and a half all it's really all i thought about is gene and jorts okay so so let's go to what gene and jorts is and where it's from okay if you guys do not follow aiti which is a reddit thread called am i the asshole which is one of the greatest things on the internet i can't believe we've never talked about it before it's true. it is it is one of the greatest it is what the internet was made for, is people it, being like, am I the asshole? And yeah. so many times they are. And they everybody's are. like, yes, you are. <laughs> you are the asshole. It's a subreddit and people post about some conflict in their lives and everyone weighs in like, yeah, you're the asshole or no, you're doing the right thing. This, I don't want to give any of it away, not because of spoilers, but just because it's such a pleasure to read and and I would not do it. We would not do it justice to to paraphrase the story. It's true. But it's true. There's a conflict around an office cat and how to handle the office cat. Uh, Well, and the real conflict is not around the cat, but around one of the employees. Around the fellow employee. And and the uh, cat's name is Jorts. And (gasps) what can you say? It was like a sensation. It blew up on Reddit. And then Jorts was (laughs) trending on Twitter for the last day and a half. It probably still is. And everyone's talking about it. If you haven't seen it, all you have to do is honestly um, Google Jean and Jorts or just Jorts the cat. I'm sure it's on Facebook and Tumblr and every other place as well. Read and it, just, do yourself just a favor. as a sense, usually a, a good AITI gets, you know, 5,000 likes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This had like 62,000 likes. Yeah. It was like, it's been retweeted like 25,000 times. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. It's crazy. And um, there's also a follow up post. Where we the follow up post made me make a noise that if I'd laughed like that in front of anybody, I would have been quite embarrassed. Yeah. It, it's funnier than even the original post. Uh, the thing I wanted to say, you know what? So if you haven't read it, you know what? Stop here. Come back after you've read it. The universal, almost universal recognition that Jorts has limitations <laughs> and, that, and that Pam, quote unquote Pam, is um, unreasonable to expect Jorts to, to move beyond those limitations, that, that this is putting strain on him and it's annoying everyone and it's not productive and instead reasonable accommodations can be made you know you can get a right. door stop you could put a, a little uh, doggy right. door thing they can go through right. um people recognize that so quickly and it kind of made me think about like how difficult it can be to explain to people why i can't do certain basic things that most other people can do you know and that 
normally one is expected to do because most people, most neurotypical people can just do it without it being an issue. And I sort of realized like people are so quick to understand that with a cat. (laughs) People get the idea of this is what he can do and we can accommodate that. And he can still be a productive coworker who, you know, brings value. Right. But we don't have to try to get him to do the things he's not able to do. We can just accommodate around that. And theoretically, that's how people are supposed to treat any kind of disability in the workplace with humans. But I feel like people aren't as ready to recognize that with humans. I think that is so true in general. I feel like there is so much sympathy for animals that we do not apply to humans, that we do not apply to human children. I completely, completely agree. And it's something that uh, sometimes I get weirded out by, and I'm saying this to somebody who like, I love cats, you know, whatever, like, but there's this sympathy for the animal because somehow humans just aren't deserving of that sympathy. And it's really, yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely a sad thing. The stories, like stories about animal abuse, boy, do they get people interested and riled up. Um, Whereas some stories about human abuse barely make a dent, you know? Especially if it's adult human abuse. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, everybody go enjoy Jean and Jorts on the I am I the asshole subreddit. It is, it is a truly great thing. It's a truly It is a great thing. Yeah. All right, guys, we didn't keep it as short as we would have liked to, but we kept it pretty, pretty short. I kept it okay short. We tried. (laughs) And uh, we'll be back next week with some uh holiday cheer for you or absolutely running of holiday cheer (laughs) and um until then you can certainly reach out to us and let us know your thoughts on all of these news stories or what other things are going on in the world that we didn't mention tell us more things you would like us to speed round yes to speed ruin uh you can email us we are saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all the social media platforms as at sauce podcast. And you should definitely come to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash sauce podcast. All members get to join us on the sauce speakeasy, which is our discord chat where everyone is sharing festive cocktail recipes that you really don't want to miss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Among other things. If you want to conversation. All kinds of great conversations. If you want to find me, you can find me at Maya Garance anywhere you are looking for Maya Garances. And I am at Gynostar on all the various platforms. All right, my friends. We will see you next week. Adios, amoebas.